What's up, everyone? This is Brian here from Exact IT Solutions. I have with me Andre from Arc Solvers IT down in Miami. He's in his new studio. It looks great. I Thank you. I love that blue light coming from the corner there. It's, yeah. Uh, that's very nice looking. So I want to welcome everyone to our show this week, Security Squawk Podcast. This is a cybersecurity podcast. It's actually a business podcast where we focus on cybersecurity. Um, and we try to help business owners and we try to help IT professionals and just a regular Joe and Jane out there. Um, we try to give them advice and break things down for them so you understand what we're up against out there and what you need to do to protect yourself because uh, Andre and I were talking in the green room before we went live, and one of the things uh, that we both agree is is true right now is that we are in an, the early stages of of cybersecurity and the, and the threats that are out there, right? So. Um, and what we mean by that is like, just like anything we've seen with technology, um, even back in the you know early 1900s with the internal combustion engine, things aren't so great or well thought out. You know, the internal combustion engine of the early 1900s, you know, was nothing compared to what was put out, what's put out today, right? So if you think of technology in the same way, just moving at a faster pace, the hacks and these attacks and, you know, on the flip side, the cyber defenses are nothing to what we're going to have in two years, five years, and even 10 years. Um, so it's important that people get in tune to this now because just like vehicles are almost in a necessity at this point, Andre and I believe that cybersecurity is going to be the same thing. Like cybersecurity is going to become ingrained in your life, just like a vehicle is, um, in, in in most people's lives, especially people that don't live in cities. Um, you know, if you live in the suburbs, you live in the rural areas of the United States, you're more than likely reliant on some kind of personal transportation vehicle, right? You know, a lot of my city friends, they, they, they can still do the bus or they can hop on a bike. Um, and quite a few of them have gotten rid of their cars, but most of them still rely on that, that vehicle when they need to leave town and stuff like that. Um, so even, even the city dwellers that, that can get away with not owning a car still need cars every so often. I don't, I don't think anybody gets away with not needing a vehicle at some point throughout the month of the year. And, you know, I'm here to tell you that cybersecurity is going to be the same way. If it's not part of your life, it's if it's not something that you think about now, when you add new devices to your home network, when you put in all these smart devices and smart lights, if it's not something you're thinking about right now, it will be. Mm -hmm. Andre and I just happen to be a little bit ahead of the curve and than the average bear. And we're hoping that the insight and expertise that we have 
really enlightens the rest of the population out there that, that you know seems to not be aware of everything that can go wrong out there in your life if you fall victim to one of these cyber criminals. Um, and it can happen a lot of different ways. So if you listen to this podcast, you're going to learn those ways that it can happen. And it's not just through ransomware. It's not through malware. Um, there's a lot of different ways that people can be scammed out of money, extorted out of money, um, lose data, uh, lose proprietary and intellectual property that they've built. Um, so, you know, the threats are real, it's dangerous. And, uh, and that's what our podcast is about. So if you like anything that you hear today, Andre and I ask that you just think about sharing us out to your social media family, uh, to your friends and your circle of people and let them know that we exist. It helps us out. It helps us want to do more content like this, but really at the end of the day, just, uh, subscribe to our podcast through your favorite platform and uh, we will deliver on our promise to bring you at least one podcast a week and uh, I'm really looking for our audience to give us feedback and show us uh, the love by sharing us out um, and remember we have our Facebook page and our YouTube channel that we record this podcast live to every time so if you head over to those platforms you get live access, early access to this podcast. Um, if you head over to those platforms as well and drop a comment, we will also reply to those comments. And you can easily share us out from those platforms as well. Um, obviously, Google and Facebook have the share button. So go to our latest podcast, share them out to your friends and family in your feed. That's the only fee that we ask for this uh, podcast. So jumping into what's going on, Andre, how you been? It's been a while. You were under the weather. You yeah. have your new studio built out. We didn't really get one up last week, but we're going to make it up by putting up two this week. Right. How's things been? No, things are good. I went to a, a great conference and um, as I was mentioning, I'm away at a conference. Yeah. In yeah. Orlando, right? Yeah, yeah. About you want to talk about that or is that sneaky? Yeah. No, no. Well, yeah, I'll give it a quick thirty seconds. It's about right. zero, zero right. trust. So, what was what was the conference? Who, wh why, who was putting it on, and uh, where was it, and, and what'd you learn? What were your sure. like one or two big takeaways? So, the um, conference was by a company called um, Threat Locker. And what they talk about and what they talked about was how you should do zero trust. And in a very non-techy way, it's, a, it's essentially only allowing programs that have been authorized or applications that have been authorized to work on a computer. So for example, we've seen like the, uh, um, we've seen some articles that we've talked about where there's third party programs such as TeamViewer or there's other programs that are running on the system that doesn't necessarily need to be there, that maybe an employee put or whatever the case is. So the whole idea is only allow the authorized programs and any other new programs that are trying to get in, uh, that are trying to run on that computer has to be approved by an administrator. So, so that, and that was the Zero Trust, it was named Zero Trust Conference, right? Yeah, yeah. So. I'm going to ask you a question that mm -hmm. I think 
I, I don't know if a lot of people, most people don't know what zero trust is, but I'm going to ask you a question. Do you think that the majority of businesses out there would buy into something like zero trust? And in a nutshell, for me, zero trust is basically nothing is allowed to work, run, or trusted nothing until it's manually approved or somebody manually flicks the switch and says, okay, we're going to allow this. So with that being said and knowing business and knowing the speed of business and how people don't want to be inconvenienced, especially when technology doesn't work, what is your, are you an optimist or a pessimist when it comes to the adoption of zero trust in in the, in the private business community. So it, it's kind of like when, because I know we kind of have different opinions on this, but for me, if I'm a business owner and me as a managed service provider, managed cybersecurity service provider, I see the benefit of that. I could see the pain for a customer saying, oh my gosh, you know, I'm just trying to, you know, someone sent me a Jive link to do a webinar and I can't run the application because I don't have permission. But I, that inconvenience, I can kind of uh, parallel that to when phishing. Remember when phishing just came out and customers were kind of like, look, I'm already getting enough emails. Now you want me to uh, now look out for emails with certain you know, parts and do this training. And, and it was just more of an inconvenience. And now we see the adoption rate of customers and, and, and business owners wanting their employees to get phishing emails is is now like they're more open to it. So for me, I I purchased the product. We're going to be implementing it um, to all our cybersecurity managed service clients, uh, and I would definitely recommend it. Cool. So you're going with it. Yep. But you didn't answer my question. Well, will a will, will the majority of businesses adopt this platform? Do you think they'll buy into what is kind of a restrictive way of doing security? Will will they buy into it? I don't think so because it's too much of an inconvenience. How do you plan on now? You say you're investing in it, right? And we've had right. this discussion. And I've told you flat out, I'm not investing in something like this. Now, right. I'm not saying I'm not doing something similar some other way. I'm just not involving, I'm not investing in this particular solution. Mm -hmm. Why would you invest in something if you don't feel like it's something that would be widely adopted? Or you just feel like there's enough of a market with the people who will adopt it that it makes it a worthwhile invest investment? Yeah, so my approach is that in the long run for my customers, it's going to benefit them because I'm I'm kind of like adding another layer of security to protecting them. And our our way of how we're going to do it is uh, kind of like a rollout. So we're going to, I'm going to be doing like a 30 second video, letting the customers know what we're going to be doing, what to expect, in, uh, expect. And then if they are trying to run a program, what would be the procedures for that? So, um, so I'm just essentially letting them know how it's going to be, because for us, they're hiring us to provide the best, you know, today's solutions. And that's what, you know, that's what we're going to go forward with. Nice. Cool. So 
And it was a good conference. I did see pictures on social media of uh, you and your team there, along with uh, some other uh, colleagues that we know. Mm -hmm. So um, our last podcast, we talked about, uh, if I remember what we titled it correctly, if my memory serves me correct, we we did um, what you were listening to this, um, what you should do after you've been hacked or if you've been hacked and you don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and interestingly enough, the same week or a couple days after that recording of that particular podcast, um, Broward County, well, the school district in Broward County had a little issue. Um, just a little one, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and they were basically hit with ransomware and they didn't listen to our podcast because they didn't do anything that we recommended in, in, that, right. in that episode. So what the heck happened down there at the Broward County School District, which I think you told me was the fourth largest school district in the United States? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So what happened down there in, in Broward County schools? And what was, uh, what was the thing that we were kind of laughing about? Um, in the green room uh, that, that happens with them. Yeah, so um, so just so you guys know, I'm in Miami and Broward County is like literally five minutes away. It's like it's the, like five blocks and I'm right in Broward County. So um, essentially they got hit with a ransomware attack and specifically they got a $40 million demand um, where if they did not pay, they, the, the, they were going to release or, um, you know, everything, the, the, the normal, the names, email addresses, social security numbers, et cetera. So the interesting thing is the negotiation and, and the hacker essentially started to screenshot the negotiations. And of course it went on the internet and et cetera. And what was funny is because they demanded a $40 million ransom and the district, I don't know if it was an IT person um, or, or maybe one of the um, superintendents or whatever the case is, but whoever this person was, he was essentially negotiating with the hacker for two weeks. And the conversation is kind of bizarre because mm-hmm. the person was, he was the Good. All right. Yeah. And whoever the um, person was essentially went back and forth with him and he offered to pay 500000 and the answer by the rent, by the hacker was, wait, what do you mean? You're you're a royal family. We know that you have a, a four billion dollar annual budget because, of course, they're going through their documents and seeing things. And they're like, you have a four billion dollar budget. Of course, you can afford a forty million dollar ransom demand. And and it's just funny because as we talked about our last podcast of what are the first things that you're supposed to do when you get ransomware and, and the answer is you call your insurance company. You, they they have they have their processes and procedures and people that will that will deal with this. So essentially um at the end they offered they was like I'm only authorized without school board approval to pay a five hundred thousand dollar um for to get our files back. And also I don't we don't have a Bitcoin account so there's no way we can pay you a Bitcoin. So again, it was just so funny of how how the conversation was. So in at the end, uh, according to the reports, the school district did not pay anything. I guess uh, maybe got on the news or whatever the case is, or somebody in the higher ups 
told that guy, hey, stop communicating with them. You know, let's call our cybersecurity insurance uh, policy and let them let them handle it. But it was just so so bizarre. Is the best way I can put it. Yeah, I read a couple articles on it, and I wasn't impressed with at least what I was reading. Um, it sounded like they uh, they had a couple missteps along the way to, to, yeah. to at least put it lightly. Um, but it was uh, very interesting. It, you have to understand, folks, if you're going to take away anything from this podcast today, if you have cyber insurance and you get hacked, the first call you should make is to your cyber insurance company. Like, like, or tell your IT company to, or IT person to call your cyber insurance company because they don't want to pay out these policies. And if you don't call them first, you're, you've already violated your, your terms with them. And they can basically deny your claim just based on you trying to negotiate with these hackers up front before their negotiation negotiators had a chance to, to do anything. Um, so don't try to go at this alone. There's trained professionals out there. There's literally guys that have relationships with these hackers because they deal with them so much um, that are that know that literally have first name basis relationships when they get in the chat or they get in over email and they start negotiating with these guys. They they're like, oh, okay, we you know, okay, you're so and so from this insurance company, or you're so and so from this company, and they know who they're dealing with, um, and and they also know the questions and the and the cadence and the way that things are asked, and they know when they're dealing with a professional versus somebody who's really never done this before. So we're not in a stage where we're dealing with amateurs on on that side of the fence. So you're dealing with people who are very uh, in tune to the fact to maximize their profits, meaning getting you to pay them as much as they can get out of you. Um, and you trying to go at this as a neophyte without much experience, um, you're probably going to give them more than what you probably would have given them had you gotten a professional. So, so that's really it. So um, thanks for that update on Broward County. Are they still down? No, no, they they were only down for about uh, two to two to three weeks. <laughs> I say only. I say oh, only. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, was school impacted by it? Or the, like administrative wise, yes, but the classrooms, no. Okay, good to know. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so, one of the things that Andre and I wanted to discuss today is offboarding when it comes to technology. And I think a lot of business owners, when you think about offboarding, you think about offboarding clients, offboarding employees, um, and offboarding, um, I don't know, maybe vendors, when you switch vendors, maybe for a big piece of software that you use in your business or something like that. Um, but I wanna add a little wrinkle into the offboarding conversation. We'll talk about this more towards the end of the conversation, but but offboarding technology is one thing. Like, what do you do when you get rid of stuff? You can't just throw it in the trash. Surprise, surprise. So we'll talk about that. Why it's important. What you need to look at. And then we'll. Um, but really, let's jump into uh, what we talked about in the green room, which is offboarding employees. Let's start there. 
Um, why is why what first off what why shouldn't I care? Why can't I just fire somebody and have them leave and call it a day? Like what what do I need to have in place as a business owner to properly offboard an employee? Well, first of all, you need a list of everything that you you gave them from the beginning. So essentially, I would say when you onboarded that employee, you take that same list and then you copy and paste it. And now that's kind of part of your offboarding. So if you gave them a laptop, a device, um, you you created maybe an Office Depot account for them or whatever bank, you know, bank websites. What I heard you say there is to make your life easier, Mr. Business Owner. You should have a proper onboarding process for your employees. Correct. Right. Okay. So let's start there. If you don't have, you're going to make this process of offboarding people infinitely easier if you have an onboarding process already in place. If you don't have an onboarding process, you might as well create an offboarding process while you're creating your onboarding process. <laughs> right. <laughs> so go ahead, continue. Yeah. So essentially, once you have that list, then um, and to answer your question, why do you need the offboarding? Because especially if you fire that employee um, and if they have a grudge, they can get back into your systems. We saw what happened in um, up in Florida and Tampa Bay with the water system where you had an, uh, apparently an old employee or something like that that went into the um, into the water system. And we all always hear about um, different attacks that happen. And many, even the Microsoft Office, if you remember that, Brian, we were talking about that with the, um, there was a company, they hired a contractor, the contractor got fired, but apparently nobody removed his credentials. And then he went in and deleted about 1500 emails um, from Office 365. So like, you wanna be sure that, you know, before you have that conversation with the employee and you let them go, you go through that list and you see what access do they have and turn it off so that, when you do fire them, um, there's no uh, there's no way they can retaliate as far as that aspect. Yep, and the other thing I can tell you I've seen in my years is companies that we go in and we perform uh, an audit on, and when we come back to them and they tell us, oh well, we don't, you know, we have. 50 employees, 70 employees. Okay, but we just did an audit of your network and you have 150 active logins in your Microsoft Active Directory. And you'd say you only have like 50 employees or 60 employees. Like why like why do you have 150 people with active accounts in here? And that's simply because when they let people go, they don't disable the accounts and they don't get and they don't delete the accounts. Um, which yes, you know, what you said is absolutely true. I think that most business owners just don't think people are that malicious and mean, and it'll never happen to them type of attitude. Like, oh, that person would never do something like that. Or they think they're completely incapable of doing something like that. Um, but here's the flip side. And I've seen two different scenarios where it wasn't necessarily the employee that got in, but somebody used that employee's credentials to get in. And because they were active and nobody was monitoring them, uh, we have now 
old employees' usernames and passwords being used to log in and hack companies, right? And it happens mm -hmm. all. Or maybe the employee was tipped off that their account was still active, and maybe they just go and sell that access mm -hmm. to somebody on the dark web, you know, for a few thousand dollars, which is absolutely something that happens as well. You know, they're not loyal to your company anymore. You may have fired them or they, they've moved on elsewhere and they have no loyalty to you and they really don't care and they just want to make a quick buck and they know that their username and password might still, you know, it still works. So they're just going to go sell that access. Regardless of how it gets in the hands of the, the malicious actor, if you have valid credentials and you don't offboard your, your employees properly, um, you're you're leaving another door open that doesn't need to be left open. So it's important that you have these offboarding and onboarding policies defined uh, for your company so you handle things like this correctly. So you don't end up in, in that in that world. Now let's talk about let's shift gears a little bit and talk about why why companies, why would we want to offboard client clients and vendors properly right so in terms of like a supply chain type of attack like it's it's actually just the same concept because right. you could you could also have a, a a vendor that that maybe is bitter that you fired them that they didn't get that next contract i i've seen it many times where um we we're we're in the process of taking unfortunately it happened but we're in the process of taking over in um, a, a client and we're still negotiating contract going back and forth etc we're not officially there yet but then it turns out the other it company is actually remoting in and and checking emails see what's going on and things like that so like you you have unfortunately the world we live in now there, there's bitterness mm -hmm. and also too um, while we're still in that, this particular topic i would say it's also important that when you do let go of an employee. Many of our customers that we have like in, in South Florida, there's a lot of hotels. So you could have, for example, a general login, which is called front desk. And just because it's such a high turnover, you, you know, they don't, they, for whatever reason, they don't want to assign an email to this person. And there's different ways of going about it. But what I've seen a lot of times is when you do have a general user, bookkeeper, front desk, and now you just, they just let a new employee start using that same computer with the same password. So just keep that in mind as well, that if you do have generalized, make sure you at least change the password uh, when you let that employee go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is all really important stuff. And it, it seems maybe from the outside, if you're not, if you don't live in this world of cybersecurity that we live in 24 by seven, um, it may seem elementary or, or like common sense, but common sense isn't so common when it comes to this stuff. Mm -hmm. When you guys hear about all these hacks that go down, where you hear things like sophisticated attack or, you know, or you think to yourself, how does a company like Microsoft get hacked? The reality of it is, is that when you really dig deep down into what happened, it usually boils down to something like this, mm -hmm. where somebody just forgot 
didn't have some kind of security turned on. They didn't disable a password. They used password one, two, three, or solar winds one, two, three is the password for the, you know, you know, GitHub repository. Um, just stupid stuff like this is the reason a lot of these hacks go down. Um, and the reason we're talking about it today on this podcast and why we're putting it out there is because these are one of the main reasons that we see these attacks happen and, and why they're successful is because companies don't take things like onboarding seriously and they don't look at it as a cybersecurity issue or a security issue. They look at it as an admin function. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times and more and more, technology is becoming ingrained and intertwined with every function of your business, not just operations. So making sure that you're handling your technology properly is, is what we're here to teach you how to do. Um, so listen to your IT professionals, listen to the ones who are giving you the advice, but also break things down to where they make sense from a common sense standpoint. Like this all makes probably complete sense to you, all the advice that we're giving you today, yet people do not practice it. Yep. And so go back to the office tomorrow or do it today and have the discipline to put on your to-do list that we need to create an onboarding process and make sure that IT is involved and make sure that, you know, when we walk somebody out the door and we have them sign paperwork or we, we give them you know, papers when, when they're leaving that we're also have a mechanism for somebody contacting IT and telling them. I mean, how many times, there are many, many times where I've had conversations with CEOs where I've said, nobody told us these people left. Yep. And it's because they never built that into their process. It might be that you just put the responsibility onto your HR manager or whoever is responsible for your HR, that they just, you know, send an email or put in a ticket or notify somebody in IT that this is happening. And really, if you're going to do it right, that call is made before the employee knows, right? Accounts are disabled or, or things are on the ready for when you pull that person into the conference room or you walk them, escort them outside, then I, at the same time, IT is turning things off, right? So they can't just get in their car, grab their phone, and then start trying to like compromise your system right from the parking lot. Because um, quite frankly, most employees know when, when their time is coming to an end, mm -hmm. right? So a lot of companies, or business owners will think they're surprising somebody by, by letting them go. When in reality, they knew all along that they were going to be let go. It was just a matter of time. And a lot of employees will, would rather somebody make the decision for them than make the decision themselves, right? So they're just waiting for you to pull the trigger. And the plans already are, are being laid out. You, you just haven't executed on the firing yet, but this employee, for all intents and purposes, has already left your company. So, Hey, Brian, we, we actually have someone in the chat. They asked the question, and I'll let you answer it. So the question is, so what about if an employee gives a two-week notice 
and we're hesitant on what they're going to do, you know, how they're going to be functioning in the office for that two weeks. I mean, that's a, that's just a that's not really a technology call, right? Um, you probably would want to, in my opinion, at least let somebody in IT know so they can maybe monitor or lock things down on this person, you know, if, if you kind of know things are coming. But at the end of the day, that's just a business decision. If you don't feel like that employee is going to serve you well for the two weeks and you work in a right to work state and you don't have any labor law concerns, you just got to let that person go immediately. Um, if you feel like they're going to be a threat for the two weeks that they're going to be there. Um, if they don't feel like, if you don't feel like they're going to be a threat, then you just wait it out. But that really that's, it's a business decision. Um, the on offboarding process should not take more than 30 minutes yeah. for, from an IT standpoint. So, you know, just having that on the ready and just making sure that you have that process in place. Cause look, you're going to have people who don't show up for work. Right. <laughs> right. And you, you're going to have to make a decision. Like, they don't show up for work one day, you're going to let them stick around or are you going to fire them right there? And then, you know, if they don't, you know, maybe they already decided they're done and they just didn't tell you, right? And they're not coming into work. Are you going to leave their account unlocked for 24 hours until you figure out they're not coming in the next day? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like that. that's, again, it's a business decision. How do you want to run your company? You know, do you tolerate people not coming into work? Do you tolerate no call, no shows? Uh, exact IT solutions, I can tell you right now, if you're no call, no show, you're about 30 minutes away from losing your job. So, and that's just how it is here. <laughs> um, so if you don't show up, you know, on your day, on your scheduled day of work and you're not here within 30 minutes or at least making a phone call telling us why you're not here, right. there's a pretty good chance you're going to try – a, not be able to get into the building, and B, your email is going to be asking you for your password very soon. Um, so, you know, but that's how we run things here. You know, it's everybody's prerogative. That's the beauty about running a business, right? You can mm -hmm. decide how you want to do it. Um, but I would highly recommend you have that process in place and you understand when it's time to, to execute on that process. That, that would be my advice um to that person who asked the question about you know what do you do with that person who's kind of in between the two-week period here so um so i want to kind of shift our focus as we wrap up here um we're going on about 35 minutes so we talked about employee offboarding client and vendor offboarding which kind of goes in the same in the same boat um, you know, if you're sharing credentials, if you're allowing access to your network or to maybe a shared client that you have between two uh, companies and you're working with the same client and you're the IT company and you're giving them access uh, to that environment, um, have a good relationship with them, um, but also understand that at some point in time, you may have to do something to sever that relationship. 
Um, and having your IT person or your IT company understand what you need to do if that relationship ever is ended um, is important, right? You don't want to just fire a client and not tell IT or fire a vendor and not tell IT, right? Mm -hmm. You did this. Um, and, and lack of a process and lack of having that in place and where's our checklist and what, what, the, what are the things we need to do when we end the relationship with a vendor um, is very important because that, again, you might have credentials, shared access that this vendor has access to, and maybe they're good people and maybe they would never do anything, but if they got compromised and that access is there, now their compromise is now your problem. Yeah. So that's the way you have to look at it. And if you really want to mitigate your risk, you're on top of this stuff, you're staying on top of this stuff. So the last thing I want to jump into is a little bit kind of a different perspective maybe than what we've been talking about in terms of getting rid of actual human beings. Let's talk about getting rid of technology and offboarding technology and why it's important that everybody I'm talking about my grandma, my, my, my parents, my, my aunts, my uncles, my kids, um, understanding that getting rid of technology, you cannot treat this like you're throwing out the milk carton or you're throwing out the pizza box. Yeah. Um, and we're not just talking about hard drives here, right? We're not, we're not just talking about, yeah, I think a lot of people, maybe I'm going to, maybe go out on a limb here and say more than 50% of the population knows you can't throw out hard drives because it has all your data stored on it. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm wrong there. Um, but I think at least there's maybe 150 million people that know that out there. Right. Um, maybe not. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm a little too optimistic there, but the reality of it is, is it's not just hard drives. Cell phones have chips in them. Anything with a memory chip, um, computers, uh, baby monitors, cameras in your house, cameras outside of your house, even these light switches, these smart switches, smart light bulbs, um, all of these things have memory or storage inside of them to remember things like your Wi-Fi network and the Wi-Fi password, right? All mm -hmm. of these devices can be cracked. So don't be the guy who takes the LED smart bulb out of the socket and walks it over and throws it into the trash without properly pulverizing that board so somebody cannot read it, right? So the simple thing to do with your LED bulbs, with your cell phones, with your smart light switches, if you happen to be taking them out already, I don't know why you would because you probably just put it in. <laughs> Um, but eventually people are going to be removing those things, right? You know, and, and, and putting new ones in, right? Because better ones are going to come out, ones that don't look like switches and they are just integrated with the wall and you touch them and all kinds of crazy stuff is coming. You know, and this even goes to like your refrigerator. If you're crazy enough to buy a smart fridge for whatever reason, right? You know, rip the door off and pulverize the door, but literally take a sledgehammer to this stuff and smash it with your own eyes or take it to a shredding event and watch that thing get destroyed in front of your own eyes is the best way you can handle this stuff. Mm -hmm. But you can't throw this stuff in the trash. Yeah. Like 
you you have to be able to take your LED light bulb, walk it over to a sledgehammer and smash the crap out of it and then sweep it up with a dustpan and broom and then put it in the trash. Yeah. Make sure somebody can't grab that chip that's inside of there and and hack it and learn what your Wi-Fi password is. And now they can, you know, get within range of your Wi-Fi signal and get on your network like that because you threw a light bulb out. And that's literally the world we are going into. Like we're not there yet. We are in the early stages of stages of this. If we were in the early 1900s and we were talking about engines, I would be telling you that, you know, be ready that your engines are going to seize. You're going to have to change your oil every 3,000 miles, or your engine will blow up and die. I'm telling you the same thing right now. It's the same language. It's just different technology. You have to take care of this stuff. You have to make sure that you are getting rid of this stuff the right way so you don't cause a problem for yourself down the road, which in most cases for most individuals is going to be identity or, or credit theft or, or money stolen. Or, or if I can get into your Wi-Fi network, I could probably get into your ring system, which I can then unlock your door and then raid your whole house. Right. You know what I mean? Because your, your, your ring and your lock and all that is going to be all connected and if I can get access to one computer in your house, I could probably get into your whole house. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where we're going with this stuff. So I want people to be aware. Um, and, it, you know, for businesses, you're just dealing with things at a 10 times bigger level, right? You're, you know, people can get into your business a lot of different ways. But at the same time, you want to be able to conduct business. And to be able to conduct business, you can't have things like technology getting in your way. Um, but you can't skirt cybersecurity in the sake of efficiency and getting things done around technology. So cybersecurity has to be in the forefront and taking care of these devices and making sure you're getting rid of them in the proper way is very, very important. If you're a business, without a doubt, you should have a relationship set up with a shredding company that handles uh, either recycling of equipment properly or at a minimum destroys the hard drives. Um, you know, but I would recommend finding a company that recycles and will do everything for you. Meaning they, you hand them the computer, they hand you a certificate of destruction. They take apart the computer and they pull out all the important components that could store anything. They have those pulverized, everything else gets handled and recycled properly meaning it doesn't end up in the bottom of the ocean. Um, like a lot of these companies do, honestly, if you look into it, this happens. They load up barges with massive amounts of electronics and they just dump it all in the ocean. Yeah. Uh, and it happens. So, you know, make sure that you're getting yourself in bed with a reputable recycling company um, that's going to handle this stuff and, and, and do it properly. And the other side of this too is if you don't hire a good company, they could also turn around and take your stuff and sell it too, to criminal hackers or sell it on the dark web. So, what do you have? Uh, what do you have on this topic? Like about getting rid of equipment? Do you have any experiences? Any funny stories? Any insights that you want to share? No, we we as an IT company, we partner with a, a company that does data destroy. They, you know, we give them the referral. 
customers are happy. So um, that's what we always do. We take in our set, in our case, we take the computer or we remove the hard drive. And then from there, they'll come. And a lot of times too, it has to be a lot of volume, but sometimes you'll have companies because they want the metal and the little gold component, mm -hmm. or they will actually want to buy it for, like in a sense, not buy it from you, but they won't charge you to destroy it. So it's kind of like, Correct. Hey, you give us this Correct. and we'll do what we do with it and make our money. And, and it's a, right. you just got to get that certificate of destruction. Yeah. So there's a chain of custody that you gave it to them. And then the expectation is, is that that certificate is, is your verification that they're going to handle that destruction properly. Yeah. And, and one more thing, don't drop your cell phones in those. If you ever go to those retail shops and they have the recycle your phone boxes, it's like the hole is so big that the phone can go in there and someone else's hand can just go right in there and nobody's paying attention to the, to the front of the store. So be, you be, don't know where they, where they take those. Yeah. After they're done. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? There's too much stuff that could go wrong there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, and then the next thing you know, your cell phone's on eBay. Yep. <laughs> so, all right, everybody. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining us this week. That that does it for us. We're gonna end the show. Uh, remember, we do have our YouTube and Facebook pages where you can find this. Just type in Security Squawk in either platform. Uh, the podcast will come right up. Our video uh, podcast is live is live streamed and then we we have the recordings up there forever so if you want to listen on youtube or through facebook you can do that but more importantly download us on your favorite podcast application this episode will be posted today so it'll probably be on those platforms tomorrow and then we are going to what are we recording tomorrow or friday no, Friday, Friday. Friday. And we're going to record another episode Friday because we had to miss last week due to some logistical issues that we talked about at the beginning of the show. Um, so we're going to hit another podcast Friday. That one will probably hit early next week. Um, so be on the lookout for that. So remember, hit us up. Uh, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and anywhere else that you might get podcasts is where you can download us. And uh, keep downloading us because we see the, the, the statistics and more and more people are downloading this podcast every single week. And uh, remember to share us out to your friends and family. It's a big help to Andre and I. So we hope everyone has a good rest of your day. We'll see you in a couple of days. Take care, everyone. Stay safe. Bye.